0: Welcome back for another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Conway at Colby R Conway on Twitter. And with me, as always, Matt Sells at The Sellsman on Twitter. Recovering from Super Bowl weekend, I don't know about you. I had a fair number of uh, libations, we could call them, Sunday evening watching the Rams win. So congrats to the Rams fans out there. Um, but Matt, how are you doing here?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Had a pretty good fun time with some neighbors uh, going to their house for the Super Bowl. Made some wings uh, on my grill. I don't know if anybody saw my Twitter timeline, but uh, I put up some very lovely food porn up there yesterday when I was rotisserie cooking my uh, wings. So yeah, it was a pretty good game. Fun time. But now uh, football's over, so our attention is squarely on baseball. And I know you're not watching this, but Colby can tell him. Definitely on baseball because I'm rocking a pitching ninja shirt here today for the podcast. So, uh, with that, let's dive in because we've got quite a lot to talk about this week.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, we still have the lockout that's still in play, but we did get a little preview of a element, or I should say, an element that is essentially guaranteed to be in whatever iteration of a deal is struck, if and when that were to happen. But we're getting the universal DH. Nationally, teams will benefit from. Well, some will benefit from having the DH spot more than others. And there are probably some pitchers out there who now don't have that more or less free out in the early to mid innings of games. So we're getting the Universal DH National League teams and free agents um, are going to basically have new horizons, essentially. So, Matt, let's go. Let's just jump into this first. Let's kind of just talk about the Universal DH just at face value. What is it going to do? And especially for fantasy
1: baseball managers out there. Yeah. So, For one, let me start off with this. I was a person who did not want the DH, period. Like, I wanted it out of the AL. I like the strategy of having to take pitchers out because they might be coming up to bat or double switches or shifting your lineup around because of matchups and whatnot. But, uh, alas, I knew it was a long shot to get rid of it. But, you know, so now we get the DH. What this means for fantasy managers here is that power is going to be everywhere. Newsflash, it already was, but now it's going to be even more so, right? Because what are we going to do? Those big bats that can't play the field are going to be stuck in the middle of the NL lineup. And, you know, just hitting bombs all over the place. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the main thing here. The other thing we got to be concerned about is pitchers in the NL, right? Those of you that leaned on... Uh, Getting some more pitchers from the NL than the AL because you figured free strikeouts and free outs and a little bit better ERA and whip. Uh, not quite so much anymore, right? Because you don't get the, the uh, free outs that pitchers often were. So uh, that's going to change things a little bit, uh, though I will say if you actually look back at the stats the last five or so years, uh, it's pretty well evenly split between ERA leaders, strikeout leaders... And uh, whip leaders between AL and and NL starters, so I'm not sure that the pitcher actually made that big of a difference, uh, for fantasy stats. But that's my first takeaway is that you really don't have to chase power now because there's 15 more huge bats in play, uh, at least, uh, that we're talking about.
0: And when you want to look at some of the numbers, and a lot of times, even in the NL pitchers, other than you know, guys that were having a great time or great outing that day. They maybe saw the plate twice before they got pinch hit for. But, I mean, that's two at-bats that matter. And so what I want to do here, looked it up. So over the last seven years, I only want to do six years, but because 2020 was there, we got to kind of add an extra year in there. But over the past seven years, pitchers have combined for a 124 batting average with a strikeout rate north of 40%. That was gimme. I mean, think about it. All the times when you're looking at, DFS or like if this year you started playing prize picks, if there was like pitcher strikeouts and that's what you go for in DFS and prize picks, if you were playing four strikeouts, why not go with the national league guy? You're probably getting at least two. And if the pitcher, you know, is sack bunting, you're maybe only wasting one or two pitches anyway. So you get to hopefully go deeper into games, but teams are going to, especially National League, they now get to put in another big bopper in theory in the lineup. And you're absolutely right. Power is, a plenty this year. So I was working on the when to draft speed article. This is, I'm, I'm going to bring this all back here for you, but when to draft speed. So make sure you check out the draft guide here at Fantasy Alarm. Check that out. All the great content in there. But looking at projections for power, I started looking through our projections uh, on fantasyalarm.com. There were 62 players projected for 25 or more home runs and 104 players project- projected for 20 plus home runs. And this was as of I believe Friday of last week is when I pulled that number. So now, now there's a whole whole another element added in here. We now free agents, guys like Nelson Cruz and Kyle Schwarber, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. They're not restricted to the AL without being a hindrance to a team. In reality, there's other teams like the Reds who have 17 outfielders who now have an extra spot where they can get another bat in the lineup. You know, maybe some younger guys who probably won't be ready for two weeks to play in the majors, but when they're ready, there's now a spot for them. But you know they're only down there to get the glove ready. That's what's needed. So who knows now? But you know let's let's jump let's jump in with the free agents first. I think the big one. I'm going to say the big one is probably Nelson Cruz. So he now gets the luxury of there's now you know half the league is now open to him. Um, so go ahead, and kind of talk about that a little bit with the free agents. And I guess other than Nelson Cruz, the other two that really jump out are probably Schwarber and Jorge Soler.
1: Yeah, I mean, Soler played a pretty decent outfield for Atlanta, um, and I guess Schwarber played both first base and left field last year, but let's face it, you don't want any of these three guys in the field for you at this point, Um, especially Nelson Cruz, who I'm pretty sure hasn't played in the field in like seven years. Um, Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge boon for these guys, because if you're in the American League, odds are they already had a D.H., Set up right. I mean, you've had the DH in the American League for forty plus years at this point, so it's not new. Um So now, getting fifteen more teams interested is going to create um, a, a bidding war for their services. I mean, we've already heard that the Rockies were interested in Kyle Schwarber. Can you imagine Schwarbombs being hit at Coors Field? I mean, that was the that was the selling point on CJ Crone last year when they got him to go play first base, and he had a pretty solid year. Um, But it also helps, you know, the Cubs have so far emerged as a team that might be willing to spend some money on some guys like Anthony Rizzo. Well, if they get Schwarber back, you can just stick him at DH, and now you don't have to sacrifice um, defense. So Nelson Cruz, you know, obviously the older one of this group, but he's still being productive. Uh, he's still hitting for average. He's still hitting for power. And so if you're a D, if you're an NL team that needs a big bat for right now and you have some guys coming up through your system, why not go get Nelson Cruz for a year or two um, and hold that spot? Uh, Jorge Soler a couple of years ago in Kansas City, no less, hit 48 home runs. Does anybody remember that? Because it was the quietest 48 home run season we've had in quite a while. Um, so Solaire's got the got the pop, not exactly a fielder, um, but yeah, those those three guys could really make some very interesting uh, decisions for teams. And I'm going to talk about another guy that's kind of that I've kind of been touting here for a couple of years mm-hmm. uh, in the prospect reports. Seth Beer for the Diamondbacks. He was originally drafted by the Astros and was traded in that massive Zach Greinke deal to the Diamondbacks. And people were slightly confused as to why the Diamondbacks would get a guy who doesn't really feel Like, he's kind of a first baseman, kind of not, kind of an outfielder, kind of not. Really, power is his game. So, um, at this point, now there's free at-bats for this guy to come up, and he doesn't even have to work on his defense to get up there anymore. He can just sit there and launch bombs into the pool in Arizona. So, there's another guy that's kind of flying under the radar for prospect hunters. Uh, who should really be on the rise this year with the universal DH coming into play?
0: Well, and Beer's a guy too. I mean, if there's sure questions about defense, but I mean, he's if if you want to put the label on him, it might be a little early to do it. But the guy's a professional hitter. That's what yeah. he is. And now, like kind of what you said, now we don't even have to worry about the glove. He doesn't have to bring it to the park. Leave it at home. Leave it in the locker room. Whatever you want to do, it doesn't need to come into the dugout. You're not going to field. You're there to hit, and now the spot opens up. So he's going to be an interesting guy. And there's going to be a lot of players where they're – wherever you were getting them, you know, today, last week, last month, in drafts, you're not getting there anymore. Now everything has been opened up. And I'm biased here because when when I played, I caught. So for me, catchers in the National League now become much, much more appealing. So you look last year. I know Salvador Perez in the AL. He had that monster year. 123 games behind the dish when he was a DH he, that was 15 of his 48 home runs if he's in the National League what do we see from him last year you know I mean still great numbers and everything like that but some of these other guys like a JT Realmuto, a Will Smith uh Wilson Contreras depending on what the Cubs do if they lock the DH you know, spot with like a Schwarber type but Perez by ADP is the unquestioned number one catcher going off the board but now catchers in the National League who have a very realistic chance of setting career highs in games played become much more appealing. Now when you look already on using NFBC ADP data within the top 10 of catchers, you're looking at Ruiz and Washington, Stevenson and Cincy, Contreras, Varsho, Smith, Riamuto, There's six or seven guys right there.
1: In the what about Yachty? In the dish. And, and them like him too, like. Because they Kinsner. So you could say, I mean, I know this is Yadis last year, I guess. Right. But mm-hmm. You could save Yadi's knees, whatever the hell's left of him, and only only have uh, Wainwright be caught by Yadi and then have everybody else be caught by Kinsner and put Yadi's bat, which is still pretty good at d h. The
0: catchers the catchers stand to benefit, and it's not just the young exciting guys like you just mentioned, a guy like Yadi, Molina, like I mean, they need as bad as they need his glove. Behind the dish. They do need his bat in the lineup, too. They need some other potent guys around some of those guys. But catchers stand a lot to gain with this. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of these ADPs creep up. And now, like, Yachty in two-catcher leagues became, like, a Mm -hmm. great, that's my second catcher. To, like, a now, like, yes, give me the DH. Give me Yachty as my second catcher.
1: That's a great point because my home league is a 21-team two-catcher league so you're already going very thin because it's you need 42 catchers and there's not <laughs> there's not even 30 draftable catchers so nl catchers now gain like a guy like Joey Bart who you know you could just have him focus on the offense when he comes up to the majors you could stick him at dh2 um, for the giants and you know put a defensive guy at catcher and still not really lose offense so there's a bunch of possibilities here for drafting if you're in two catcher leagues because their bats may actually go up if that's possible and
0: and then one last team here with the universal dh we'll bring it kind of closer to your heart here but in washington last year it was i remember doing the value vault for dfs and it was you know, if a lefty's on the mound, great. I'm playing Ryan Zimmerman. Variety's on the mound, great. I'm playing Josh Bell. What, what is going to be the plan with Washington? Let's say, I mean, I th- I'm, from what I know, Zimmerman's status is still up in the air. I don't think it's – he hasn't officially yep. retired, correct? Correct. So are we – now, I guess this is our vote. Are they just – depending on who it is, or do you think Zimmerman at his old age – and I mean, we talked about what's left of Yachty's knees, but what's left of Zimmerman's body – what are we thinking there with the, with the Nationals in the Universal DH?
1: Yeah, so I was actually reading an article from the Washington Post uh, the other day that said there's basically only three positions that are locked in for the Nats. Uh, obviously, Juan Soto has a spot. Um, Josh Bell's got a spot, and KB Ruiz have a spot. Everything else is up in the air. So if they get Zimmerman back, um you can basically lock him in as a DH guy. Because when his bat was in the lineup, he looked pretty good last year. Like, he was still a professional hitter. The numbers weren't great because he didn't play all that much. But if you go as an at-bat basis, it was still pretty good. Um, So, yeah, that's another team that's kind of – I've felt for a few years now that they've been building their, you know, flexibility towards, hey, we really want to be a team with a DH. Um, And now they get one. So that should be, that should be good. It could be another place where you could stick Carter Keboom too and let his back kind of adjust without the pressure of having to also field. Um, So yeah, I think if they get Ryan Zimmerman back, which honestly, I think they could for like a one year veteran minimum type thing um, and just say, Hey, look, you're going to be the DH. You don't have to field. We don't got to put wear and tear on your body. Just get out there three, four times a day and swing a bat. I think you could get him back for one more year. Um, and that would make him decently appealing as a very low-level first base option in fantasy. So, yeah, that that's another good point there, Colby. Absolutely. And we'll see.
0: There's going to be more developments, especially if once the lockout ends and players start signing. We'll really get to dive in more. And, you know, some of these hypotheticals that we're talking about we'll actually be able to put into – practice and you know hopefully hopefully in a future iteration of this podcast we're breaking down an over under of about 43 and a half home runs for kyle schwarber in colorado we'll see if it happens and if that's the line i don't know i have to take the over on that one but we'll have to see what pans out there but we'll go back to one thing we do each week talk about a couple guys at their current average draft position and compare them to some guys around them so it's time for this week's this or that
1: this or that
0: so the first one, we're going to go to the American League East. We're going to go on the bump. Kevin Gosman's coming at pick 70 right now. So other guys around him, like in the pick 70 to 80 range, we got Max Fried, Jack Flaherty, Jose Barrios, or Barrios and Joe Musgrove, all coming in in that range. So are you going to pay up for Gosman at pick 70, or are you going to sit back a couple picks and take one of those other guys or maybe even push up one of them above uh, Toronto's acquisition this offseason?
1: Uh, I think my favorite out of this group is Max Freed, actually. I know Flaherty looked really good at the beginning of last year, and then he got injured, and when he came back, the numbers were not great. I know it's a small sample size. It's like 16 innings after his return, but I'm still not 100% sold that he'll jump right into where he was. Like, at the beginning of the year, it was, I don't know, 60-something innings of 290 ERA, which is good. But if you look at Max Freed, he got better as the year went on. And not having Soroka in that rotation didn't hurt him. So it's not really going to hurt him when Soroka is not there to start the year. I just think that the NL East is the division I'm going to be picking on this year for pitchers. Because outside of the Mets, those offenses aren't all that scary to me. I mean, the Braves, yeah, but Freed doesn't have to pitch against them. So I'm going to go with Freed. Um, I don't think Gosman's going to survive the AL East. He already tried it once in Baltimore, did not go well. Uh, Barrios, he's solid, but his numbers are never like outstanding. And Musgrove is just, I don't know. He's all right, but I'll go with Freed is, you know, ace caliber upside there.
0: I agree that Gosman's not my preferred play here. I actually prefer uh, Jose Berrios over him amongst those two, but I'm going to shoot for the moon. I'm a big Jack Flaherty guy. You know, he's going to face Pirates a couple times. That's good enough, you know, in and of itself. And, injuries just got in the way for Flaherty last year, and he was very good in the beginning of the year. And as long as the strikeouts are there, I'll take a shot on him to lead, maybe not lead my rotation, but be a, you know, maybe my SP2 or my SP3. I'm just worried about Godman, like you said. Yes, he's got a great splitter, and it's helped him keep the ball in the stadium more. But, you know, he's been in the AL East once. Can he do it again? Now, fortunately, we did get that news that Baltimore is pushing their, Pushing the stadium back, so that's one less daunting of a park for a guy like Gosman to deal with. But there's still plenty of potent offenses in that division. So I just he's got the splitter. That's great. I'm not sure I can go with Gosman there, so I'm going to lean with Flaherty amongst that group. Yeah, it's oh,
1: go ahead. Go ahead. It's hard to turn down Flaherty. I just like the consistency that Freed has shown over the last couple of years. So. For sure. For sure.
0: It's, it's, well, we agree, not Gosman in that range. So we basically agree. Um, Cabrian Hayes picked 139, the dual threat guy in Pittsburgh. Comparing him about seven picks later, you got Yoan Moncada, and about 40 ish picks later, you're looking at Matt Chapman in Oakland. If you're going to go more power and just say screw batting average, who cares about it anyway? So Cabrian Hayes, Yohan Moncada, Matt Chapman.
1: I kind of have to go Chapman on this one. Like, Brian Hayes is great, right? Defensive whiz, defense doesn't really help you that much in fantasy. Um, The problem is that the rest of the lineup in Pittsburgh sucks. So, sorry, Colby, not to rub it in, but Hayes is a very good bat. The rest of the lineup, I guess outside of Brian Reynolds, isn't, isn't great. Yoan Mankata has been disappointing for me for like two years now, and everybody seems to be super high on him, but I'm, Really don't see why, to be honest. Like, he's going to put up a little better batting average than Chapman, but Chapman's got better power. So, why not take the 40 pick savings and go with Chapman? Because batting average, I mean, normally I set my goal for like a 270 batting average in my 21 team league, and usually the winner of the category has somewhere around a 270 team batting average. Last year, the winner of that category in my 21 team league was at 262. So batting average doesn't matter at this point, right? It just doesn't matter. So I really don't care that Chapman's going to hit like 220 or 230 because I can get a couple of guys who hit 280 and then you're making up the difference. So I'm going Chapman.
0: I would lean Hayes. I understand Chapman. I think this is an unfair question because I think a lot of this comes down to maybe who your first six or seven picks were. If you need the speed, you're probably going to lean to Hayes. If you need the power, you probably go with Matt Chapman. But say you do take Chapman at 185 and you want to get someone to kind of balance out his maybe slightly better than putrid batting average. Michael Brantley right now is picked 247, and this is ADP data beginning January 1st, 2022. He's not doing much outside of batting average anymore. But the contact is there. The batted ball profile has remained quite similar here through the years. So Michael Brantley at pick 247. You could go more power speed guy with Tommy Pham at 263 or some power speed, even potential there outside of the top 300 with Kyle Lewis at 304. Again, this is probably a little bit more of like, a well, what does my roster look like leading up to this area? But let's just say in a vacuum, Michael Brantley, Tommy Pham, Kyle Lewis.
1: Uh, I'm kind of partial on Michael Brantley on this one. The guy's been consistent for, like, seven years at this point. He's a professional hitter. The batting average is generally always going to be there. The power-speed combo is pretty nice. That offense in Houston is still very good. Um, Doesn't strike out a lot, so he's going to give you a shot at getting on base, which helps with run production as well. Um, Kyle Lewis is intriguing, but what's he going to, like, which Kyle Lewis are we getting? Um, And Tommy Pham, the biggest problem with him is that he tends to not stay healthy, right? So um, I got to go with Michael
0: Brantley on that one. I agree. And this stuff, you
1: look with Brantley, I
0: mean, the guy's going to hit 300 plus again. And Like we just talked about, if you take a Chapman and you basically want to combine the two to make some sort of fantasy powerhouse, Brantley's the perfect guy outside of 200, 225 picks to do that with, easily to do it with. And you look... Could there be some bounce back in the power? Sure. You know, the home run to fly ball race seems to be a bit of an outlier. And yes, the naysayers will say, well, he's, he's stunk against lefties the past two years. And, you know, you mentioned it on a, a recent podcast that we did. But if he doesn't hit lefties, he's still on the, the larger side of the platoon anyway. There's more righties than lefties. So he's going to be just fine. So I'm I really like Kyle Lewis. Don't get me wrong. But I need Brantley, especially because w- depending on where I go earlier, I'm going to need some batting average help. The also,
1: if Leo that. Rodriguez comes up, then Kyle Lewis runs out of it bats pretty quickly.
0: Yep, yeah, and even with the... I mean, he's in the AL, so he had the DH anyway. Lewis, Lewis is a guy you can take a flyer on later for power speed, but one too many ifs for future season or like for a full season production. Sure, but yeah, Rodriguez is comes up.
1: You would think they'd put Dylan Moore at the DH? Well, they will because they just signed Adam Frazier who's going to play second base. So there's just a lack of at bats for Lewis at this point, I feel like.
0: Yep. And then a couple other guys here at ADP, we'll go into these guys a little bit deeper, um, kind of going off the deep end here. And These are guys later on in drafts that at the very least work the flyer. And like I say, each week, and I'm going to say each week moving forward, you're just looking for a reason or two to draft a guy here outside the top 300, 350. So first up pick 397 right now is Chris Haddock. And boy, two years ago, the sheriff and his changeup up were, going to come in he was going to headline the San Diego rotation for years to come I, it wasn't quite like a Fernando Tatis who but Paddock was the big name for a bit there and he was good but as we've seen a lot of times it is very hard to be a two-pitch starter and do it quite well he's got a good fastball that he can close his eyes and put it wherever he wants and he's got a changeup that's quite good his curveball's got a lot of movement but it has not developed into a reliable tertiary option here So what do we think about Chris Paddock heading into this year? I mean, pick 397 again. You know, he could easily be dropped within two weeks and anything like that, and you're kind of okay. But where where are you kind of at with Chris
1: Paddock this year? That's a very good question, right? It's kind of like, where am I at with the entire Padres rotation at this point? Has anybody looked at the Padres rotation? Because it's not that great, to be honest. Um, I mean, you, Darvish, okay, solid. Joe Musgrove, Chris Paddock, and then what? You get, a you get um, what's his face, Clevenger coming off of Tommy John? Okay, probably an innings cap. And then who the heck knows who they're going to you know toss in there as a fifth guy. So they're going to need as much help from Paddock as they can get. I'm not sure they get it, though, because the problem is without that third pitch, if you can time up his fastball, he can't survive on just a changeup. So I, uh, I'm i kind of out on Chris Paddock at, at this point. I know it's weird to say that, and we're talking about a guy who's at 397, but I still feel like there's some better upside spots there. Like, Denilson the Lamette's going around there. He's intriguing. Like, there's some other starters that I feel like have decent upside around there that I'd rather take than, than Paddock.
0: And the big thing with Paddock is until he gets that third pitch, when you look at his career, 3.16 ERA, first time through, 217 batting average. Next time through, we're up to an ERA north of five with a 258 batting average. The curveball's got to develop or he's got to mix in some sort of wrinkle, whether he, I don't know, maybe his curve, maybe he tries to transition and have like a slider or even try to add like a fourth pitch, maybe too mediocre. Options outside the top two is better than just one, maybe. But he's going to need another option. Is he worth a shot? Sure, I get it at that point. But another option has has to develop for him. Go back to your Nationals here. Quick touch on Victor Robles. A couple years ago, power, speed guy. Despite limited <laughs> limited batted ball, you know, prolific numbers to say the least. It, the stat cast numbers aren't going to jump off the page, but he can run solid defensively. He put on weight. It clearly didn't work, and it kind of all spiraled from there. So he's going outside the top 400 this year, and we all know how valuable stolen bases can be. But is there enough juice for Victor Victor Robles in 2022?
1: So I know a few minutes ago I said defense doesn't matter for fantasy, but in this case it does because he's a gold-glove caliber center fielder for the Nats, which means he's going to be out there unless he's hurt, right? They're going to be giving him at-bats. Now, is it going to be in the bottom third of the lineup Almost assuredly at this point, given the last couple of years. But can he return to, what was it, 2019's masterful season? I don't know, man. It's it's tricky. I think the skill set's there for him to do it. I think Nats Park helps him a little bit. It's a decently hitter-friendly park. Um, The NL East is a decently good hitter-friendly division. Um, so I would take the shot because there's there should be some steals there. There should be some power there. Um, and you're talking about a guy going outside the top 420. So, you know, it's worth the shot for the bat at that point. If he doesn't do anything, drop him, you know. But he's going to continue to get the at-bats because of the defense he plays in center field. And he's and like a
0: speed is just so tricky You're, at that point. I mean, any guy who has a pulse and stolen base outside of top 400 becomes at least interesting. If he's not going to be efficient on the base path, you better hope he runs a lot. Like last year, just eight of 14 in attempts. So at least he was running. We'd right. like to see that efficiency bump up just a little bit more. And he's got to get on base. He's not going to, he, he's, it's Just look at the box score with him, because if he goes three for four with three singles, I don't think any of them are going to exactly be frozen ropes. Um, that's not in his game. You know, you look at lackluster exit velocity and barrel rate. So hopefully he can get on base. The other thing that kind of hurts him to an extent is that last year he finally walked for about the first time in his career with a 9% walk rate. Prior to that, it was all sub 6-ish percent.
1: So anyway, well, he the thing base. is, he you cross. actually want him hitting in the top of the, the order, because when they moved him around a lot last year, um, and when he was hitting at the top, you know, lead off or the second spot in the order, he was drawing walks. He was doing what you're supposed to do at that point. It's in the bottom of the order where he goes, oh, these two guys behind me suck. I'm going to have to be the, the stopper here where he starts free swinging. So maybe the DH helps his mentality there a little bit in terms of, oh, the eight and nine guys in the rota- in the order typically don't do anything. But you want him leading off or hitting second and drawing and drawing the walks so yep
0: and then last one here before we put a bow on this episode one team that you got to think is happy that the universal dh is coming because they have a plethora of bats and there was not enough spots to do it beforehand so uh jd davis picked 477 robinson cano outside of the top 500 players that's crazy to think one that he's still playing and two that he used to be drafted pretty early on so Universal DH is in town. J.D. Davis or Robinson Cano, is there one that you prefer over the other?
1: Well, so this comes down to who you believe is going to be the main DH for the Mets, right? And Buck Showalter is kind of, you know, an odd guy to try to predict what he's going to do because he tends to zig when everybody else zags, right? Um, If you look at roster resource at the moment, they are projecting Robinson Cano to be the DH. But you also got to keep in mind that are the Mets just done with Cano after him being injured and then he tested positive for the PEDs and got suspended and, you know, whatever. Or do they really want to try to salvage something out of that terrible trade they gave away Jared Kalanick for, right? Um, I tend to think it's going to be J.D. Davis who winds up with the main uh, D.H. role in New York. And in that case, 477 is an absolute steal, for a guy who's capable of hitting, like, 20 home runs um, and is going to help you in batting average as well. So I I tend to lean Davis on this one. I don't know if you have the same thoughts, or you think Cano is going to be the DH, and then that makes him a free square.
0: No, I I truly believe fantasy baseball managers should want Davis to be the primary guy. When you look last year, like you said, good source of batting average, and the guy makes hard contact, and after – you know, 2018 and 2019, eight and ten degree launch angle, fine. 2020, it tanked to three or three degrees. Last year, back up to 13 degrees. He's the one that can put any sort of fantasy juice out there at this point. Robinson Cano's had a great career, but fantasy baseball manager should want JD Davis because not only could he hit 280, 285 plus, there's there's easy double digit home run potential in that bat. And could he get to 20 if kind of everything works in like a perfect storm? situation perhaps and at 477 uh, even at even now i would go davis and hopefully Showalter walter doesn't come out and say anything to keep davis's price suppressed
1: right like we're talking brantley at 247 and davis at 477 they're basically the same hitter so why is davis 240 picks or 230 picks after brantley
0: and davis is a guy too should he get it he's one that if you take you know I mean, he's got a little more pop than Brantley does most likely here at this point, but he could be kind of the guy that balances out. So earlier on, if you take like a Miles straw type because you're like, oh, you know, shit, I need stolen base and bad, you know, come back with uh, Davis to give you a little pop, a little power, a little batting average to kind of even it all out. But all of this that we kind of talk about here, you're going to see a lot of it, a lot of great content in the fantasy alarm uh, fantasy baseball draft guide. So make sure you check that out. If you haven't already go ahead and get it, you won't regret it coming into drafts, but I know Matt's, been put out some content for there. I just had an article come out this week, but Matt, let's go ahead and wrap it up for this week. So, uh, what, what you got on plate for the week ahead, baseball, non-baseball, and where can everyone find you? Uh,
1: yeah. So for baseball, you know, I'll still be updating my, my articles whenever news breaks or, uh, you know, whatnot. Um, but mostly my attention is on NASCAR NASCAR starts this week, uh, for good with the Daytona 500 on Sunday. So I'll be rolling out a boatload of content, uh, for Daytona 500 on both DFS alarm and Pixwise. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the salesman that's T H E S E L Z M A N. Um, and so, yeah, we'll have a boatload of that content, uh, still be focused on, on baseball and, um, you know, developments with the lockout and who's going where and and whatnot so you can always ask me questions in discord too i'm on there like all the time so
0: absolutely get in discord any questions just want to talk shop talk some baseball check out the again check out the mlb draft guide not going to regret it. a lot of great content in there and a lot of great content that's forthcoming and will be updated but matt and i will be back next week for the next edition of the fantasy alarm fantasy baseball podcast and we will see you then